Today on the Matt Wall Show, millions of children are being experimented on, abused, and mutilated, all in the name of gender ideology. The problem has reached epidemic proportions, so much so that even some mainstream media outlets have started to notice, shockingly. We'll talk about uh, that today. Also, five headlines, including the mayor of Chicago announcing that she'll only accept interviews from non-white reporters. One elected politician in Washington had the courage to condemn her for this for this kind of bigotry and to do it specifically, uh, and it wasn't a Republican. Also, is Prince Harry a victim of emotional abuse? We'll ask that question. And BuzzFeed reports that the White House wants to help Americans have more sex with random strangers this summer. In our daily cancellation, we'll consider the mother on TikTok who's worried that her white male baby will grow up to be, quote, awful and has developed a plan to prevent that from happening. We'll talk about that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Now we're going to check in with The Great Courses Plus. You know, I think one of the best, maybe the best measure of someone's intelligence, it's not an IQ test, it's not any kind of written test at all. Uh, I think it's just have a conversation with someone. And uh, is this someone who can speak intelligently on a wide range of issues? Uh, do they have, is, is there a depth to their, to their you know, thought process, uh, that kind of thing? Um, and it's great if you can speak intelligently, confidently about a subject, multiple subjects. Uh, I think some of that's being lost in our culture today. And that's why you need to check out The Great Courses Plus. With The Great Courses Plus, you'll get thousands of hours of fascinating content across hundreds of topics uh, from, you know, everything from science to, to history, astronomy, whatever, whatever, whatever subject you want. I mean, literally any subject at all you can imagine, they've got a course for it. With access to video, audio, and guidebooks, uh, you can watch or listen anywhere at any time with The Great Courses Plus app. I use this all the time. It's another thing I used in my long, long car ride. Uh, makes car rides go by a lot faster. So don't miss out on this great deal. Go now to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Walsh to get your free month when you sign up for a quarterly plan. Again, that's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Walsh. So I spent the weekend driving from Tennessee to Maryland and then back again, 1,500 miles, give or take. It was almost long enough to make me wish that I'd taken a plane instead. Almost, but not quite. The good thing about the drive is that it gave me a chance to listen to and, and almost finish Abigail Schreier's book on how gender ideology is destroying an entire generation of children. The book titled Irreversible Damage, the Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. Uh, you've probably heard of it. It came out last summer and I had, I had put off reading it partly because I'm, I'm very well informed on this issue or I thought I was and uh, I'm cynical in general. So I didn't think the book had anything to tell me that I didn't already know or assume. I was wrong. Uh, the crisis, as Schreier documents it, is much worse than I thought. And I already thought it was very, very bad. And I've told you that many times. I had to pause the book frequently throughout just to collect myself and at certain points to stave off bouts of nausea so that I didn't start vomiting all over myself. And I don't even say that as a joke. Um, the chapter describing phalloplasty, that's when plastic surgeons use bits of a woman's body to construct an appendage that's supposed to look like a penis, had an especially sickening effect on me. I, I won't go into details here except to give you one little morsel of information. Part of the process involves de-sleeving the forearm. And that's exactly what it sounds like. They pull the skin off of a woman's arm like a sleeve, and then they use it in the construction of the fake male reproductive organ, only it's not a reproductive organ at all, of course. You can't actually give a female a male body or a male a female body. That's impossible. All you can do is take a healthy body and mutilate it. You can make a body less feminine. You can't make it male. 
A male body is male down to its very bones, down to its cells, its DNA. The only way to turn a woman into a man would be to obliterate her body completely and build a man from scratch, which, which also is impossible right now. But that wouldn't even be turning a woman into a man. That would just be killing a woman and creating a man to take her place. But the main, the main point of the book is not to describe sex change surgeries, which have plastic surgeons basically acting like Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all in the name of alleged medicine. Um, the, the main point of the book is to show in painstaking detail how children, girls are the special focus of this book, are indoctrinated into gender ideology at very young ages and eager, eagerly put on the path to gender transition if they show even the slightest sign that they're questioning their gender. And of course, it's not hard to get a child to question their gender. Almost any child will if the idea is suggested to them early enough. That's how millions and millions of children are fed into this system. You truly can't understand the full scope of this problem until you've looked at the numbers. We are losing an entire generation to this madness, and that is not an exaggeration. Gender ideology is both jammed into the kids' heads by the school system, academia, Hollywood, and the media, and every other powerful institution, and also spread among the kids themselves. It's, it's, it's a full-on social contagion, unlike any that we've seen in our lifetimes. And the problem is that, and I think the book does a really good job of explaining this in, in, in particular, is that all of this stuff, the gender ideology, has a very special appeal to kids, in particular girls, as they go through puberty and they endure a perfectly natural period of, of feeling uncomfortable in their own bodies. Kids have always felt that way in puberty, after it, before it. People have always felt that way at one time or another, to one degree or another. But now, I mean, we, everyone has had an experience of looking in a mirror and not being totally happy with what you see. We've all been there. But now we're given a framework for interpreting those natural feelings. And the framework tells us that if we feel not totally at home in our bodies, then we're gender dysphoric and we should embark on a quest to get a new body. As the book describes, doctors and therapists will diagnose gender dysphoria almost automatically. In many states, they're essentially obligated to legally. The so-called affirmative care standard means that counselors and therapists must affirm a patient's gender delusions, even if the patient is a child. So if a, if a 10-year-old boy comes in and says, oh, I, I think I'm a girl, there's no effort to figure out why he's saying that, what lies at the, at the root of it, what is he really trying to express, where is this coming from? None of that. None. The only thing they do is say, well, okay, then you are. So you're a girl. Let's talk about how to you know, make you more into what you feel that you are. This in spite of the fact that the goal of therapy should be quite literally the exact opposite of that. When it comes to the gender stuff, therapy, along with the medical industry generally, has flipped itself on its head and performed the opposite of the function that it's supposed to perform. Now kids are put on puberty blockers at the drop of a hat and cross-sex hormones. And before long surgery, girls as young as 16, sometimes younger, are having their breasts cut off, an entire biological capacity permanently removed, all in the vain hope that they can become men. And sometimes they don't even want to become men. They talk in the book about a, about a, a quote-unquote doctor, I think he was in Canada, has done over a thousand of these uh, so-called top surgeries. And in some cases, 
the girls aren't even claiming to be gender dysphoric. They don't even say they want to be men. They, they identify as non-binary. They want to be neither. It's a cosmetic. It's entirely cosmetic. They approach it like another person would approach getting a tattoo. Only a 16-year-old can't get a tattoo in most places, but they can get their breasts chopped off. The doctors are not only performing these procedures, but recommending them and profiting off of them, of course. Now, it just so happens that after my weekend spent listening to these stories, I came home to find out that 60 Minutes and a True Shocker performed some actual journalism and uh, aired an investigation this past Sunday night into this very problem. 60 Minutes interviewed a number of uh, detransitioners. Those are people who went through a medical transition to become the opposite sex, then regretted it and tried to go back. And unfortunately, depending on how far along they are in the process, they can't fully go back. Now, there are many such cases, and there will be a great many more in the years ahead. Here's just one example. Um, This is a girl named Grace who went all the way through the transition, um, all the way through the double mastectomy, having her breasts removed, before changing her mind. And here she is describing that process. Did the therapist not question you about how deep the feeling was and what it was stemming from? She didn't go really go into what my gender dysphoria might have been stemming from. We only did a few sessions. Because she was over 18 and didn't need parental consent, she says she merely signed an informed consent form at a clinic and got hormone shots. They asked me, so why do you want to go on testosterone? And I said, well, being a woman just isn't working for me anymore. And they said, okay. So that was that. You got your prescription for testosterone. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just four months after she started testosterone, she says she was approved for a mastectomy, what's called top surgery, that she told us was traumatic. You know, I'm kind of surprised because based on everything you've set up to now, I would have thought you'd have a great sense of relief. I started to have a really disturbing sense that like a part of my body was missing, almost a ghost limb feeling about being like, there's something that should be there. And the feeling really surprised me, but it was really hard to deny. And so she detransitioned by going off testosterone and then went back to the clinic. And she says, complained to the doctor that the process didn't follow the WPATH guidelines. Uh... Uh, If it sounds like the doctors and counselors she consulted seem to have no concern for her physical well-being at all or her psychological well-being, that's because they didn't, and they don't. On that note, um, I want to play another clip for you. This this one was mentioned in Trier's book. That's how I was made aware of it. I had never seen it before. These are, uh, and I should have seen it. We should all see this, and I want to make sure a lot of people see this clip. These are comments made by a woman named Dr. Johanna Olson Kennedy. She's one of the most prominent Texas Chainsaw physicians sending countless young people off to get mutilated. She's also the medical director of the Center for Trans Youth Health and Development at Children's at the Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And she's also married to a trans man. That is a woman who identifies as a man. So that's where she's coming from. That's her background. Here she is at a conference in 2018 explaining why it's okay to chop the breasts off of an adolescent girl. This, again, is not theoretical or academic. People like this woman are actually doing this to girls, thousands of them, or referring them to surgeons who will do it. Here is her justification. I want you to listen very carefully to this. 
I'm just gonna say this, but actually, people get married when they're under 20. Actually, people choose colleges to go to. Actually, people make life-altering decisions in adolescence. All the time. All the time. And honestly, most of them are good. It's just the bad ones that we talk about. Oh my God, the cinnamon challenge, right? I mean, why do we know about it? Because it's, it's a thing and it's, it's, not, it's not common. Like most teenagers aren't eating cinnamon, right? But some are and they're on YouTube and that's stupid. But we don't put on YouTube the things that are really good decisions, right? Oh my gosh, my kid took the SATs. Not a very exciting after school special, right? But so what we do know is that adolescents actually have the capacity to make a reasoned, logical decision. And here's the other thing about chest surgery. If you want breasts at a later point in your life, you can go and get them. The first thing to understand is that the woman there is evil. We're talking about Nazi scientist evil. We're talking about abortionist evil. Now, she may sound like a lunatic in that clip, but she isn't. That'd be let her off the hook. You know, lunatics don't get medical degrees. Bad people can get medical degrees, and unfortunately, a lot of them have, but not lunatics. If you're crazy delusional, you're not going to get through medical school. But you could be a bad, evil person and make it through medical school. And she's a bad, evil person. What's her argument here? Well, she says, first of all, adolescents can make good decisions. In fact, she says, most decisions adolescents make are good. They make life-altering decisions all the time, she observes, which somehow means that it's good for them to make those decisions and we should help them to make more such decisions. Ironically, the one example she gives of an adolescent making a good decision is taking the SATs, but that's not a decision that kids make. Parents make that decision. Adults make it. Kids go along with it. Indeed, it turns out, most of the, of the good, the actual good long-term decisions, quote-unquote, adolescents make are the ones that adults tell them to make. Kids need adults to help them think more clearly when it comes to long-term choices. Long-term planning, and this is another thing that a doctor knows. If I know what a doctor knows, that a long-term planning is a function of the prefrontal cortex, and teenagers do not have a fully developed prefrontal cortex, which is why they do dumb things all the time. Which is why almost all of us, if we survived our teenage years, should be thanking God that we did. Because there's a really good chance that we, you know, it only would have taken one or two things to go wrong. Of all the dumb things we did, all the dumb, d destructive, reckless things. I know I can look back at my teenage years and think of plenty of those. Why were you doing that? You look back to being a teenager and you think about some of the things that you did. Some of the things you said. The way you acted. And you think, that was like, what was I, was I... What was I? It's like a different person. I don't even know who that person was. Well, it's because your brain wasn't fully functioning the way that it is now. They literally can't make good long-term decisions, at least not reliably. They don't have the neurological hardware in place just yet. This is also why we say adolescents can't consent to sex. Our laws against child rape and pedophilia are all based entirely on the idea that young children cannot make sexual decisions for themselves. Dr. Johanna 
wants to undermine the legal, scientific, and philosophical case against pedophilia. And that is not a coincidence, by the way. Check back in 10 years or maybe sooner, and she'll be explaining in one of these videos with equal passion why we must be tolerant towards and accepting of adult-child sexual relationships. Quote me on it 10 years from now, maybe sooner. But even if she personally never gets to that point, what she's already advocating for is just as bad. A child who is put on hormones and then who has their body mutilated is being sexually violated in a way that is just as depraved and damaging as molestation or rape. All of these kids are sexual abuse victims. And their abusers are people like the doctor here. She's like a pedophile. That's how she should be treated and seen. Somehow, though, we haven't even gotten to the most deranged part of of that short clip. She also says flippantly, practically laughing as she says it, that you could chop a young girl's breasts off And it's no big deal because she can always go and get new breasts later if she wants. This is what this doctor thinks of the female body. She thinks of it like a Lego playset or a potato head doll. You could take parts off, attach, reattach, mix and match. A body is nothing but a pile of parts. Cut a few off, swap them out. Nothing will be lost in the exchange. It is obviously not true. I would hope I don't need to explain that it's not true. Your body is a whole, coherent, complete thing. It's not perfect. Nobody's body is perfect. No no person is perfect. But it is your body. And yet, you should love your body. Because it's the only one you have. You can never have another one. This is what any therapist or counselor worth their salt would be saying. And there are very few of them out there that are worth their salt, by the way. I mean, we're at the point where it's like, I wouldn't even send my kid to a counselor or a therapist, period. I wouldn't send them because I don't trust hardly any of these people, given what they're saying. That's a different subject. But your body is your body. You will never have another one. A woman cannot have her breasts removed and then go and get new ones. You can't. Her new breasts will not be breasts, but they'll be mounds of flesh, lumps of meat. Now, perhaps that's all that Dr. Johanna thinks breasts are to begin with. That's all she sees. And and perhaps that's understandable as her brain seems to be nothing but a lump of meat. Even so, she's wrong. And you know something? She knows she's wrong. All of the doctors and therapists and counselors treating kids like Frankenstein's monster they all know what they're doing. I mean, when you, when you feel like you're the one going crazy because you see stuff like this and you think, how, what is happening? How can these people not see how insane this is? Well, they do see it. But they're motivated by ideological conviction, politics, and most of all, money. There's a lot of money to be made and social clout to be gained by doing what they're doing especially when most of the public is too afraid to speak up against it, too afraid to say, no, this is wrong. A boy cannot be a girl. A girl cannot be a boy. This is all wrong. Most people are too afraid to say even that, except in hushed tones or privately, they'll send a message. Hey, I agree with everything you're saying. Don't tell anybody. We cannot afford to be quiet about this anymore. This is one of the great fights of our time. It may be the greatest. 
Either we can sit back and watch while millions of kids are experimented on and abused and tortured and destroyed and literally cut into pieces in front of us, or we can speak up and resist and do what needs to be done. That's our choice. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, some people are chair snobs like me. I have very specific demands for chairs. Some people are more uh, chair-inclusive and tolerant. But no matter where you fall on the chair spectrum, uh, you will definitely be able to enjoy and appreciate the X-Chair. X-Chair has you covered for all of your office chair needs. The secret is not only their patented dynamic variable lumbar support, which offers unbelievable lumbar support to your lower back, and eventually, one of these days, I'll figure out what lumbar support even is. But now... Thanks to their new XHMT technology, you can also get heat and massage therapy while you're sitting at your desk. Instead of your old, uncomfortable office chair, now you can look forward to spending hours sitting in the ultimate therapeutic massager. The XHMT delivers heat and massage technology right to your core, helping increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy. All the perks that make working from home or the office a joy. X-Chair is on sale now for $100 off. Go to xchairwalsh.com now. That's the letter X, chairwalsh.com. Or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR. That's 1-844-4X-CHAIR. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairwalsh.com now. Use code XWHEELS for free X-Wheel blade casters. Again, xchairwalsh.com. Okay, so um, another note for my drive, by the way. Lighter note. A little bit lighter, anyway. Um, although still on the subject of... Uh, of perhaps medical-induced mania. I, I was, uh, it's actually the first time I've seen this, and we're a year into this thing. First time I've seen what I saw in uh, Virginia, stopping at a Panera Bread, which was my first mistake, I admit, why I go to a Panera Bread. You know, Panera Bread, it, it gets away with positioning itself as sort of a, uh, a higher class option from regular fast food because they charge five times the prices. So you figure, well, you're getting a, a chicken salad sandwich for $27. It, it must be pretty good. But actually, it's not really that good. Or, you know, they sell soup in bread bowls. Which, by the way, that's... You want to know why we have an obesity epidemic in this country? It's because people are eat Like, you're eating soup, and you're thinking to yourself, this is great, but I really wish I could eat the bowl, too. And then Panera Bread is there to solve the problem. Um, anyway, went into the Panera Bread, and uh, there were... Everybody in there is wearing masks. Except me. And... Th- multiple tables of people sitting at their table, food in front of them, wearing masks. I I had not seen that yet. Somehow there are people getting crazier as time goes on. As the, as the pandemic is recedes um, and most of the country is immune for, for one reason or another, either vaccine or, or prior exposure, there are people that are getting more serious about it. I was just sitting there watching. I was waiting for my food. I was waiting for my $57 order. Um, and I'm watching people sitting at their tables with masks on. And I never saw any of those people take a bite because that's what I was waiting to see. How does this work? Are you, act- you going to try to eat that thing with the mask on? I really wanted to see. But um, anyway, all right, let's go. Number one here, NBC Chicago reports, as Chicago Mayor Lori Lori Lightfoot approaches the two-year anniversary of her inauguration, reaching the halfway point through her first term, she told the city's media outlets that she would grant one-on-one interviews to mark the occasion, but with one condition. She will only speak with journalists of color. 
Lightfoot tweeted Wednesday morning, I ran to break up the status, uh, I ran to break up the status quo that was failing so many. That isn't just in City Hall. It's a shame that in 2021, the City Hall press corps is overwhelmingly white in a city where there where more than half of the city identifies as black, Latino, AAPI, or Native American. What is AAPI? Is that Pacific Islander? Anyway, I'm not going to guess. Um, diversity and inclusion is imperative across all institutions, including media. In order to progress, we must change. This is exactly why I'm being intentional about prioritizing media requests from POC reporters on the occasion of the two-year anniversary of my inauguration as mayor of this great city. So, if, you know, first of all, it's great that this is her priority. As it's just bloodshed in the streets of Chicago. People, kids, women being shot and killed as they walk down the street. Um, so that's happening. You know, morgues overflowing with bodies, not because of COVID, but because of the violence and the, and the, the you know, the, the gang culture in the city. She's not worried about that. She's worried about making sure there are more black people reporters that's, that, are, that are at the press conferences. And, and her response is, and let's be clear also, when she's saying, oh, I, I only want to have interviews with black, Latino, AAPI, whatever that is, or Native American, what she's really saying is, I don't want to be interviewed by any white people. So sometimes they get away with this kind of thing because they, they sort of try to frame it in a positive way. They say, oh, no, we're, we're, uh, we're just giving opportunities to these, uh, to these groups over here. But what you're really saying is you don't want white people to interview you. Because you only singled out one. There's only one group you left out. You put every other group in. It's kind of like when you are in third grade and you invite everyone in the class to your birthday party except for one kid. And of course, those of us with good parents, we were raised and told, listen, you can invite the whole class or you can invite one or two kids. What you can't do is invite most of the kids except except one that you can't do. But uh, Lori Lightfoot, we can uh, assume for many reasons, uh, was not was not raised well. Um, And so this is flat out bigotry and racism against white people. It is anti-white racism. And that's what we, we should name it and call it that because that's what it is. Now, there may have been some, Repu- I'm sure if I check, there are some Republicans who complain about Lightfoot saying this, maybe tweeted about it. I'm not sure. I'll assume that some Republicans did. Uh, and maybe even called it racism. But there was one elected representative on the national stage, only one that I'm aware of, that went so far as to say this. This is Tulsi Gabbard, who I should remind you is not a Republican. She's a Democrat. And this is what she tweeted. Mayor Lightfoot's blatant anti-white racism is abhorrent. I call upon President Biden, Kamala Harris, and other leaders of our country, of all races, to join me in calling for Mayor Lightfoot's resignation. Our leaders must condemn all racism, including anti-white. Calling calling it not just racism, anti-white racism, and then saying that Lightfoot should resign. Now, I love this statement from Tulsi Gabbard. She's exactly 100% right. Um, What I don't love is that she's the only one saying that, and she's a Democrat. What what a shame. What an absolute shaming, well-deserved shaming of the Republican Party that this is not coming from any Republican. It's coming from a Democrat. And the thing is, as a Democrat saying this, you, you, you know, Tulsi, this takes courage. 
I actually have respect. She might be the, she's the one Democrat, one elected Democrat I can think of who I have respect for. Um, even though I still, I still don't agree with many of her views, but this actually takes courage because all of your colleagues in Democrat party, your base, you know, everyone that you, that you need to support you and everything, they're all going to be against you for this. Because that's, that's taboo. You don't talk about anti-white racism. In fact, anti-white racism, according to them, doesn't exist. But Republicans, they would risk nothing by calling it out. Yeah, the left's going to be mad at you. The Democrats are going to be mad at you. But they'll be mad no matter what. Um, and most conservatives, no matter their race, black, white, doesn't matter, are, are, would be perfectly happy for you to call out anti-white racism because that's what it is. And it doesn't matter if you're a Republican, who cares what the Democrats say? They have no, it doesn't make a difference. They're going to hate you no matter what. You don't need them to like you and they won't no matter what you say. So you have literally nothing to lose. You might as well speak up. But these cowards, they can't even endure. They're going to get some frowny faces in the halls of Congress when they're walking by the Democrats. And they can't even that, even that they can't endure. Tulsi Gabbard put a lot more than that on the line. Um, but we need to be very clear about this. As conservatives, you know, uh, if that is how you identify, I think we need to be very clear. It's, it's not enough to just blanket, blanket statement, condemn racism in response to something like this. We need to call it what it is. It is anti-white racism. Anti-white racism exists. There's a whole lot of it. In fact, it's the only form of racism in America that's socially acceptable. Um, And it's one of the only forms of racism that's also institutional and systemic. Arguably another form of being anti-Asian bigotry, which through through affirmative action, you know, that is very real as well and and systemic. Um, And yeah, calling her her for her to resign the same way. I don't even, I don't need to point this out, but I will just... (laughs) If you can imagine a white mayor saying that he only wants to be interviewed by his fellow white people, it, he'd be arrested. I think he'd be arrested. I think they would send the, the, I think the FBI would be knocking on his door and they'd arrest him for, they'd find something. They, they, they would arrest him for felony rudeness. I guarantee it. Hate crime charges. You know, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm right. This is not, I wish it was like a joke or an exaggeration, but a hyperbole, it's not. They would call that a hate crime. But Lightfoot can say it and, you know, no problem. All right. Let's uh, go here now. See a little bit of uh, news from CNN or news, uh, news about CNN. We're not going to get news from CNN, but there's some news about them. And we'll start here. Uh, we heard something similar to this on the last show. That was from a Democratic representative. And this is uh, another Democratic representative named Don Lemon. Uh, extolling the virtues of the Democrat Party. Let's listen to that. How do you, how does that correct if you only have, you know, a fraction of whatever, the political spectrum dealing with this issue? Well, right now, the person who's in the White House is a Democrat. The people who are in charge of Congress are Democrats. The people who are in the majority, slightly in the Senate, are Democrats. The only party now that is operating in reality is the Democratic Party. The Republican Party is obsolete. <laughs> okay. 
Actually, the last part of that I agree with. The Republican Party is obsolete. There's no denying that it is obsolete, and it's made itself obsolete largely by the cowardice we were just talking about a second ago. Um, and that and that we should also note is Don Lemon, oh, I want to be clear, that's Don Lemon host of Don Lemon Tonight, as opposed to Don Lemon host of Tonight with Don Lemon, which I think that was that was the show he had you know, up until a week ago, and then they made a big announcement that he was resigning from the show or something, and it was this big deal. Um, and then he comes back the next day and says, yes, we, we have ended tonight with Don Lemon. We start a new chapter. This is Don Lemon tonight. Um, and it's, it seems like the old Don, the old Don Lemon, much like the new Don Lemon and, uh, or new Don Lemon, like the old Don Lemon, Don Lemon, however you want to put it. But he says the Democrat party, only one living in reality. Same thing we heard from the Democrat, I think it was Tim Ryan last week saying the same thing. There's only one Republican, there's only one party living in reality. It's the Democrats. Well, I guess I would ask Don the same question I asked Tim, which is, okay, living in reality over there, uh, can you get pregnant, first of all, in your reality? The girl, Grace, the the clip we played, um, regretting her transition. You know, a girl like that, take a 16-year-old girl, chop her breasts off, can you make her into a boy? I mean, you're in reality. Is that the kind of reality we're talking about? Yeah, I think it is. And then we've got Chris Cuomo at the center of controversy because it was found out that he was advising his brother on how to deal with the sex harassment scandal, even while claiming on air that uh, he wasn't getting involved or anything. And then it came out that he's been advising and, uh, and he actually apologized for that. And here's his apology. The people can say and write what they want, but I want you to know the truth. How I helped my brother also matters. When my brother's situation became turbulent, being looped into calls with other friends of his and advisors that did include some of his staff, I understand why that was a problem for CNN. It will not happen again. It was a mistake because I put my colleagues here, who I believe are the best in the business, in a bad spot. I never intended for that. I would never intend for that. And I am sorry for that. It's also important for you to understand, not only do I not cover this here, I've never tried to influence this network's coverage of my brother. In fact, I've been walled off from it. This is a unique and difficult situation, and that's okay. I know where the line is. I can respect it and still be there for my family, which I must. I have to do that. I love my brother. I love my family. I love my job. And I love and respect my colleagues here at CNN. And again, to them, I am truly sorry. You know who I am. You know what I'm about. And I want this to be said in public to you who give me the opportunity and to my colleagues who make me better at what I do. Okay. A uh, very teary moment there. Very emotional. I was getting choked up a little bit. I don't know about you, but his colleagues are the best in the business, which, you know, maybe they are. It, it's it's such a low bar that, uh, sure, why not? Um, but here's the thing. I, I don't care about this at all, really. I'm not even sure why I played that. I was trying to remember. While I was playing that, I was thinking to myself, why am I playing this? Did I have something to say about this? Because I don't remember what it, what it was supposed to be. Um, but even if I don't care about it, uh, for me, like, I don't care 
he wants to call himself a journalist. That's a, that's laughable. That's a joke. But as I said, the bar is so low for journalism now that sure, anyone can be one if they want to be. But I don't care. He, he, he doesn't want to talk about his brother's sexual harassment scandal. Um, fine. That's fine. He's talking to his brother, advising him. I don't care about that either. Yeah, it's your brother. So I understand you're loyal to your family. I, I don't really have an issue with that. The problem, that, that's not really the problem. That's not the actual scandal, because there is a scandal here. Um, the scandal is during the height of all this, back in, in March and April. CNN was bringing Andrew Cuomo onto Chris Cuomo's show on an almost nightly basis, certainly at least weekly basis, and they were doing these little buddy cop comedy routines, which is inappropriate enough given the circumstances of all these people dying. But also, there was no attempt to be an objective journalist. They were, they were handing over their airtime for propaganda pieces between this politician and his little brother. And then it turns out that this politician is wrapped up in a scandal that resulted in thousands of elderly people dying. So in terms of the journalism scandal, that's it. But as far as him not wanting to talk about it now, and, and who cares if he advised? Of course, he, I would assume he's probably on the phone with his brother. Who cares about that? That's not the issue. All right, let's go. This is from page six. It says, Meghan Markle didn't act on suicidal impulses while pregnant with her son because she didn't want Prince Harry to be hurt by the loss of, quote, another woman in his life. The Duke of Sussex told Oprah Winfrey in the documentary series that premiered Friday. So Oprah's doing another interview with these people. Great. Uh, he said in a conversation with Winfrey in the, uh, the Me You Can't See, a new Apple TV Plus series on mental health, he said the thing that stopped her from seeing it through was how unfair it would be on me after everything that happened to my mom and to, uh, that's British for mom, and to now be put in a position of losing another woman in my life with a baby inside of her, our baby. Um, the prince told Winfrey the scariest thing for her was her clarity of thought. She hadn't lost it. She wasn't crazy. She wasn't self-medicating, be it through pills or through alcohol. She was absolutely sober. Sober. She was completely sane. Uh, yet in the quiet of the night, these thoughts woke her up. Harry said he did not go to his family when Markle felt suicidal because he was ashamed the situation had got that bad. Uh, he also said the royals would likely not be able to help. Okay, so Meghan Markle, I mean, I already knew that she was petty, vindictive, self-absorbed, all of that. A lot, a lot of flaws shared by, uh, by famous celebrities and so on. So no surprise there. But then you read stories like this and you realize that if, if you didn't already realize, oh, she's just, a, this is a really, this is evil. This is a really, really bad person. You're, she's pregnant with Harry's son and threatening to kill herself. This is emotional manipulation. This is emotional abuse. Um, and, and if, if the genders were reversed, everybody would be saying that. Can, can you imagine for a second, Meghan Markle sitting down and saying that, uh, Harry was threatening to kill herself, kill himself if, if she didn't do this or that thing that he wanted. Everyone would be saying this is a, you need to get out of that marriage. This is, this is, you're being emotionally manipulated and abused in, in horrible ways. Because that is horrible. You're threatening to kill yourself with you while, while pregnant? 
Um, yeah, that, that would be, that's, that's my interpretation of it. Of course, I wasn't there. But you know what? Here's the other thing. Because I know we are also told that we're in no place to judge. How dare we? You know, maybe she really was going through a psychological crisis of some kind. Um, and and it's, we should butt out. But they are taking their personal life and putting it out into the public. They are choosing to publicize. They don't have to. Nobody would know anything about the suicidal stuff unless they told us. And they didn't have to tell us this. Not only are they telling us, they're getting paid to tell us. They are in the process right now of monetizing their personal story and their, per, their alleged personal trauma and victimization. They're monetizing that. They're turning it into, their, into a media empire, into a franchise, like a Marvel movie. So they are putting it out there in public. And when you do that, then, yeah, we, the rest of us, we have every right to give our opinion and to try to, and to you know... And if we want to speculate, we can speculate. If you don't want people speculating about, it's like I always say, if you don't want people speculating or giving their opinions about your personal life, then keep it to yourself. The moment you put it out there for the entire public as, as, as content for them to consume, you're the one who's turned it into that. That's your fault. And so I feel perfectly within my rights, uh, ethically and certainly legally, at least for now, to say that to me, um, that doesn't sound so much like a, a mentally ill woman as it sounds like a woman emotionally and psychologically abusing her husband. And as I said, reverse the, 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 the sexes here. And that's how everybody would interpret it. That is, that is, that is horrific stuff. It really is. All right. Um, do we have time for this? I think now we're probably going to save this for tomorrow. Um, because BuzzFeed has a story about the White House uh, wants to en- encourage people to go out and uh, have sex this summer randomly with strangers. And of course, BuzzFeed's a big, big, big fan of that. And you know, if you get vaccinated, then you can go and do that. Because apparently, uh, the only disease you have to worry about when having random sex with strangers is COVID. As long as you're vaccinated, you don't have to worry about anything else. We'll save that for tomorrow. There may be a longer conversation to be had. Let's move to... Um, Reading the YouTube comments, this is from Richard Parker. He says, being a drag queen who twerks at nightclubs is officially a more respected profession than being a cop who puts his life on the line to fight crime. Morality is bankrupt in 2021. That's a good way of putting things into perspective, and uh, you're exactly right. George Ann says, this drag queen stuff is disgusting and degrading. Exactly what are they attempting to teach children? How to be a drag queen? It is this what their goal in life should be? Keep up the good work, Matt. We need you. Yeah, they want to teach kids to be drag queens, uh, but that's more of a of a of a pleasant side effect as far as they're concerned. The main thing is to just sexualize ch- children, to desensitize them to this kind of thing. Um, that's that's the main goal. Uh, to to destroy within the children any nation. T- uh, semblance of, of quote unquote, traditional morality or anything like that. That's what it is. It's an attack on what they consider to be old fashioned, outmoded morality. This is, this is one avenue through which that attack is waged. Uh, and uh, another comment says, I want a little old lady with a chain on her glasses reading my stories. Exactly. That's, that's one of the less discussed aspects of the drag queen story hour that we're taking jobs away from librarians. And they, 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 when I was a kid, 
They did a perfectly fine job of reading stories. Um, Deplorable Neanderthal says, Matt, the Daily Wire should do a backstage special for the UFO report to Congress. I promise I'll watch with bated breath and you'll hit a billion views guaranteed. A billion maybe because the aliens themselves will tune in. I don't know. I think that'd be great. I will suggest that. I'll run that up the uh, the flagpole to see what happens. I will say that, and, and this is, a, I think, a seri- more serious conversation that we should be having nationwide because anti-UFO bigotry is uh, is a big problem in the workplace, and it's a big problem in this workplace here at the Daily Wire. And I don't mean to air dirty laundry like Megan and Harry here, but it's it's a problem here. Um, and I would even say those of us who are pro-UFO, we are made to feel unsafe. I mean, I feel unsafe sometimes. When I hear someone like Michael Knowles coming out against UFOs and saying that it's basically impossible that there's intelligent life in the universe, I feel unsafe when I hear that. This is really a conversation for HR, I guess. Um, Let's see. Kaya says, safe travels to you and your family on your vacation. Try to enjoy. Also, this episode's cancellation literally made me simp, but laugh out loud for Kyle. I mean, the kid must have not known what he was lurking into so naively. Pity. Rest in pieces, Kyle. Uh, and to that, I commandeer the expression, Godspeed. I think you used, I, I don't think you used simp correctly there. I think what you're trying to say is you, you were sympathetic for Kyle. Because I, in our back and forth, you thought I had the better of the, the exchange. I don't think that's, I don't know exactly what simp means, but I don't think that's it. So I just, I, I'm for your own benefit, don't go around saying that you simp for people if you're sympathetic for them. I, I don't think that's what it means. And uh, finally, this is from Pig Marine, great name, it says the bathwater comment is about Belle Daphne, who took bath and sold the bathwater under the name Gamer Girl Bathwater. I believe she sold a few batches, and the batches sold out in less than a day. Okay. So there's someone online who's, who took a bath and then sold her bath water, and it sold out. What, what, what do you do with it? I mean, the people that are buying it, what are they? I guess I don't want to know. Never mind. Don't tell me. If you've never met Candace Owens, that could be about to change. If you sign up as a Daily Wire member with code VIP, you'll get 20% off your new membership and be automatically entered for a chance to win a trip to the Daily Wire studios to see Candace live. Not only will you be meeting Candace, you'll be getting an inside look at her studio, our office, and front row seats to watch her live and in action on her talk show, Candace. You may even see me walk by. If you do, don't talk to me. Leave me alone. So don't wait. Go enter to win a Candace VIP pass now and dailywire.com slash subscribe. That's dailywire.com slash subscribe using code VIP for 20% off. And, uh, you know, as you all know, the Daily Wire has been growing like crazy. We moved the whole company across the, across the country. We've, you know, we've got Candace Owens. We've got the deal with Gina Carano. We've got a lot of things going on, a lot of really exciting projects within the last six months and beyond. Um, but we want uh, to grow with you, and we want to know what you're all about. So we want you to go to dailywire.com Walsh and fill out my audience survey to tell us a little more about yourself. And as it turns out, at the survey, you're also telling us what you think of me, which I was very disturbed when I found that out. But even so, to sweeten the whole experience, 
Those of you that complete the survey will be entered to win a $1,000 gift card. But you can only take the survey once per Daily Wire show. So uh, you also got to go listen to Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, Andrew Clavin, get access to their surveys, and you can be entered to win yet again. Again, my survey link is dailywire.com slash Walsh. We'd love to hear from you. Let's get now to our daily cancellation. So today for our daily cancellation, we return to my favorite source for cancellations, TikTok. Now, there are some who say that I spend too much time responding to content on TikTok because TikTok is frivolous and irrelevant and stupid and everyone knows it, allegedly. But this just goes to show, once again, why conservatives themselves are increasingly irrelevant in the culture. We tend to think that because something seems stupid to us, unimportant to us, a silly distraction to us, that it must seem that way to everyone else. But that's not the case. The fact is, whether you like it or not, and I most decidedly do not like it, TikTok is one of the places where millions of people, especially kids, go to get information and have their own views affirmed. For that reason, it matters even more than the mainstream media. I mean, I should spend more time on this show responding to TikTok than whatever they're saying on CNN or NBC because TikTok and platforms like it move the culture and influence people much more than does, say, Don Lemon. So with that preamble out of the way, a recent viral video must now be brought under consideration. Here's a young woman by the name of Sarah. She made a video to tell the world about the books that she'll be re- that she'll be reading her very young son, Bennett. Uh, she's being applauded for this, and I am being mostly condemned for having criticized her, but you can make up your own mind. Let's uh, watch the video first. Hi there, my name is Sarah. This little cutie is my son, Bennett. As you can see, my son is a white male, so here are some books that I bought to help prevent him from growing up to be awful. Starting out strong, we have C is for consent. Um, Pretty self-explanatory, but it's a picture book that goes into detail about consent with your body, with family. Along that same note, we have Will Ladybug Hug, teaches the same kind of concept and in a more childish way about a ladybug who um, is hugging his friends, even has one friend who doesn't like hugging. So this one is called Only For Me, same concept, teaching kids about consent and things that feel comfortable with their body. Because I'm raising a feminist, we've got A is for Awesome, 23 Inspirational Women. Next, we have I Clean Like Daddy. There's even a page in the end where the whole family is cleaning together to show that it's not just mom and sister's job. Finally, we have Except When They Don't, a book about um, boys and girls liking whatever they want, regardless of their gender. Okay, so we have two major issues here. One is the the books themselves, and the other is the stated reason for reading the book. So let's go with the latter first. Sarah informs us that her son is a white male, which in some ways perhaps is progress. At least she didn't tell us that her son is a white female or a non-binary pansexual kangaroo or something. She does at this point have a fundamental understanding of biology, it seems, and realizes that her son is indeed male. Um, That's good. The only hang-up is that she seems to have a lot of suspicion and resentment even towards her son for being male. Now, if for for whatever reason you don't immediately understand why the phrase, my son is a white male, so I I have to prevent him from being awful, is a problem, Imagine the same thing, but directed at a different kind of baby. Imagine a mother with a black male child saying, as you can see, my son is a black male, so here are a bunch of books I bought so that he doesn't grow up to be awful. Or perhaps even better, a father, imagine, imagine a father pointing the camera towards her, his six-month-old daughter and saying, as you can see, my daughter is a female, so here are a bunch of books I bought to prevent her from being a shrill, overbearing harpy. Would there be anything to discuss in either scenario? No, everyone everywhere would unequivocally condemn that sort of attitude. Only where it pretends, pertains to white males do we suddenly want to make an exception, which proves not that Sarah isn't bigoted, but that she's far from alone in her bigotry. Of course, 
There's nothing wrong with parents endeavoring to make sure that their children grow up to be good people as opposed to awful people. Uh, Every parent on the planet has looked to awful adults at some point and said, my God, I need to make sure my kids don't turn into that. I have thoughts along those lines every day of my life. I had that thought of Panera Bread, watching the people eating their bread bowls with masks on at the table. And I thought, I, I hope my kid, whatever happens with my kid, I hope they never turn into that. The problem is when your concerns are specifically racial and gendered, as though you're worried that they'll be awful because of their identity. It's one thing to acknowledge the fallen state of the human race and our propensity for evil. It's another to imagine that your own child is especially susceptible to it based on their identity. That's called bigotry. And yes, to be bigoted against your own flesh and blood is deranged beyond all imagining. It's the type of thought process that has been made possible by the critical race theory cult. One of the most basic strategies of any cult is to turn its members against their own families. Now, usually this involves turning children against parents, and CRT does that too. But the even more demented thing is to turn parents against children. And then what about the books themselves? Even many of the people criticizing this video have still allowed that the books are fine in and of themselves. It's just the framing that's the problem. But I disagree. The books are a problem too. First of all, she has three books on consent, three of them, that she'll begin reading to her child from infancy. And remember, she's not reading the books in order to protect him from being the victim of non-consensual touching. No, this is all about stopping, stopping him from sexually assaulting other people. This is a woman so worried that her son will be a rapist that she started him on an anti-rapist curriculum from infancy. She might as well read him a book called We Eat Dinner with People, Not People for Dinner in order to teach him how to not be a cannibal. I mean, she, she has imagined that her son is at a very high risk of being an absolute monster, not just a bad person, but a monster. And now she'll spend most of her maternal energy steering him away from what she believes is a near inevitability. All you're really doing at best is creating an issue where it didn't exist and introducing concepts where before there was but childish innocence and ignorance. By the way, in spite of the feminist insistence that we need to teach our sons not to rape, and they say that all the time, right? The truth is, no, you shouldn't need to specifically teach that. I don't know about you. There was never a time in my life when my parents sat me down and said, now, son, don't be a rapist. Any more than they they ever sat me down and said, now, son, don't be an axe murderer. They never said either of those things. And yet, I I became neither an axe murderer nor a rapist. Why? Well, because they inculcated in me a more complete value system. They taught me to respect the dignity and value of other human beings as well as my own. And they instilled virtue as well as they could anyway, while warning against sin and vice and so on. When you do that with your children, they they will not grow up to be perfect people, but they will develop a moral code and a system of values that will direct them away from things like rape and murder. And hopefully, it'll do a lot more than that. It turns out you should aim a lot higher than just, don't be a rapist, don't be awful. And when you aim higher, when you aim for actual virtue, The don't be awful and don't be a rapist lesson is baked into the cake. You don't even need to say it or focus on it. Especially not when the kid is still in diapers, you damned fruitcake. As for the other two books, or other three, um, 
There was one telling the boy that he should help clean around the house. And then there was another telling him that he can play with whatever toys he wants, regardless of gender. Those could be okay in and of themselves, depending on the specifics. I haven't read the books, so I don't know. But this, this mother is not reading those books in order to open up possibilities and to allow the child to express himself. She has rather a very specific and rigid idea of the sort of boy she wants him to be. She has already labeled him. He's a feminist. Six months old, he's already a feminist. She's decided that from birth. So although she says, oh, kids can like whatever they want, they can do whatever they want. In reality, she has made a box for him and she will fit him into it one way or another. Now, of course, we all make boxes as parents for our kids. We all have ideas of, uh, about the sorts of people we want them to be. Um, that's what instilling values is all about. But the difference is that progressive parents, quote unquote, have an even narrower and more constricting box, all while pretending that there's no box at all. And that's the real problem. And that's why they are all canceled today, along with Sarah. But not her poor child, who uh, is certainly not canceled and is going to need all the help he can get. And I, I fear for him and so many other kids. And we will leave it on that uh, wonderful note today. Have a great day. God bless. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, a spate of anti-Semitic attacks follows Hamas's war on Israel, while top Democrats condemn Islamophobia. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen.